Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or you can write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support us, there are ways to do so. Go to the Firefall Talk Radio homepage. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Remember, we can always be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart radio and spotify okay sorry but i still had to use that canned opening still a little under the weather all the mold the mildew from the rain and things like that but i have a question last week i said i sounded like froggy from the little rascals how many of you had to look up to see who froggy was on the little rascals come on fess up how many of you had to look it up all right I'm I'm glad to be here. I wasn't going to do another repeat. We have some stuff to talk about, some things to do. Before we do, before we get into that, if you need prayer or you want to pray for the others in the porch community, reach out to us. Go to Firefall Talk Radio homepage. Use the contact button. Go to your email. Plug in the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com and uh, put prayer in the subject. If you have a need, let us know, and we'll do the best we can, and we'll get it out to the others in the community. Before we pray, um, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to lay it out there for you to pray for us. We lost our almost 13-year-old Roddy girl, Sarah, still dealing with that. They aren't pets. They're furry kids, and um, just keep us and keep Mac in, in your prayers. As you can tell, I'm dealing with a persistent respiratory crud, and it's it comes from the sinuses and the mold and the pollen and all these other things, and I will press on and persevere. Last thing is we have some very specific emergency financial needs. Just petition the Lord, let's knock on, keep knocking until we receive. He's as good as his word, and I trust him. So, Father... So much going on in the world right now, it seems so minuscule to mention our little needs. But you told us to bring them to you. You told us to let it let you know. You told us to share with one another and make our needs known. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're making them known to you, Lord. Even as I pray, those that are listening are making them known to you. You want to know. You want to help us. You want to be involved in our life. Because you are Abba, Papa, Daddy. And over these last couple of weeks, and especially these last couple of days, um, I've been petitioning you as Dad. So I just come to you with my brothers and sisters. First of all, we say we love you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And um, most of all, thank you for Yeshua. Without him, we have nothing. Without him, we are nothing. So, Lord... What you endured, what you did, what you allowed them to do to you is beyond our mortal comprehension. Our minds cannot even understand it. When I think about it, I break down inside that you would do that for me. I didn't deserve that, but you did it anyway. So thank you. Thank you for giving us an example. Thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit to walk with us and to teach us and to guide us. And we just come before you now, Lord. Your your children, they need you. They need more of you. They need more of the Spirit. They need more understanding. They need more a stirring up of the fire that's already in them. You, You said in the word, that the same spirit that raised you from the dead, Paul said, is inside of us. That dynamic dunamis, that power that created the universe is inside of us. Help us to access it. And from the inside out, 
heal all that needs to be healed, close all those openings that we've created, the enemies created, however they've been created, seal them shut. Let your armor be upon us. Let your love be within us. The Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for reminding us. And we just we just bring all of our needs right now. Each and every one of us, we bring our needs directly to you. And folks, as I'm saying that, take it to them. You can talk over the top of me. Just take him your needs. Take him your family member. Whatever it is, just lay it at his feet. And Lord, we just lay it at your feet. Our, our hearts cry for this nation, for Israel, for the world. We know that you're coming back, and we don't want to get in the way of what you're doing. But we just ask for a little peace and protection while you're doing what you're doing. So rain down upon us, Lord. Rain inside of us. Stir us up. Protect the technology. Clear our minds. Open our hearts. And have your way with us. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, just say, Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Uh, thank you for the mute button, because then you don't have to hear me cough. <laughs> Bible's open. If they're not already open, you've not been paying attention. Folks, this is real. This is for real. Just because you're sitting at home or running on the treadmill or driving in your car, this is for real. Open your word. And if you can't open it, don't do it while you're driving. No, don't do that. But get home. Listen to these. Take notes. Because the time may come, and it may be real soon, when you won't have access to technology. Whatever notes you have is what you will have. Get them in your Bible. Get them in a notebook. Get a prayer journal going. Start preparing for what is coming, which is what I've been trying to do with you all these years on the porch. But right now, we're talking about behaving like a believer in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what the world is looking for from us. So many in the body, so many that are of His church, don't even know what I'm talking about right now. They think what they see on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and their potlucks and their vacation Bible school and all the things they do, they think that's church. I'm here to tell you it's not. It's fellowship. It's community. But it's not church. We're the church. We're supposed to be shaking the world. We're supposed to be setting the captives free. And all of that comes from how we behave as believers. And that means everything flows from a relationship with him, Yeshua, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. And the foundation of this love, love for him, love from him, and having love for others is the key. Go with me to Romans 12, starting verse 9. This is the amplified version. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe all ungodliness. Turn in horror from wickedness. But hold fast to that which is good. Good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I'm sorry, I tried to do that. Love one another with brotherly affection. As members of one family, not denominations, not splintered personalities, not fractured entities, one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exalt in hope. 
Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessities of the saints. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Verse 13, that's our focus tonight. We have covered everything else. This is our focus. It says, contribute to the needs of God's people. Underline or highlight the needs of God's people. Sharing in the necessity of the saints. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Highlight or underline the practice of hospitality because we're going to tie the two of those together. And the sequence in this verse is very specific. As we dedicate ourselves to meeting the needs of our of the fellow believers, and if you notice I say believers, I don't say Christians because Messianic believers are not Christians, but they are believers. They are a part of his body. By dedicating ourselves to meeting the needs of fellow believers, we will have the opportunity to serve strangers and therefore witness to them about the love of Messiah. They will see it in us and they will see it in practice. The verb that Paul uses is related to the familiar Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. When needs arise amongst our brothers and sisters, we're not just to meet their needs. We should also fellowship with them in their suffering, fellowship with them in their joy, fellowship with them in their tribulation in ways that go beyond material things. If we truly love, as the Lord said, it would be our first choice. I know I've shared this before, but it's been a while, and a lot of you are new. When we first got to Orlando after leaving Tallahassee, uh, we got here. Deb didn't have a teaching job yet. I did not have a job. None of the jobs promised to me by my friends in the studios. or um, Nothing panned out. None of the promises made to me. You know, people say, hey, you get here, brother, and I'll set you up. Yeah, well, didn't work out. And then no matter what I tried, didn't work until the Lord finally said, stop kicking against the goads. But during that period of time, there was a gap. We had, a, we had gaps over those, over those first, like, five years that we were here. And there were people in the fellowships that we were going to that helped us to make it through those gaps. But one of the biggest ones that I remember, we were part of a church— group, a big church, big monstrosity, just, I won't even go there. Anyway, but the best part was they had home fellowships on Sunday night, and we were a part of this home fellowship, and the Spirit of God was moving, and it was it was so awesome that the lead pastor shut it down because it was a threat to him, but that's another story. But they found out about our needs. So we're home, we're here in this house, doorbell rings, go look outside, there's nobody there, open the door. And there are bags in front of our door, food. And in one of those bags is money, change. It helped us. That's the church. And when we've been able to do that, we do that. This It isn't about all the hoo-ha and the dog and pony show and all the things that I used to be a part of and thought it was the real thing. No, that's the real thing. Taking care of each other's needs being with somebody in their sorrow, being with them in their, in their whatever is going on in their lives. That's what the love of God does. James chapter 2, starting verse 14, what is the use, what profit, my brethren, for anyone to profess to have faith if he has no good works to show for it? Can such faith save his soul? If a brother or sister is poorly clad and lacks food for each day, and one of you says to them, Goodbye, keep yourself warm, be well fed, without giving him the necessities for the body, what good does that do? So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds, and actions of obedience to back it up by itself, is destitute of power. It's inoperative. It's dead. Even if you have a dollar, even if you have five dollars, even if you bring them something you just cooked to their door, you are doing an act of faith. And James isn't talking about the justification of faith Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What he's talking about is the public and personal demonstration of our faith in the Lord and of being a part of his family, fellowship, koinonia. So many people that I have met have never experienced that. When we had the home church, we would get there, have coffee set up, donuts or whatever. We'd fellowship for about 30 minutes. Then we'd get into praise and worship, praise reports per request. Then we'd get into the Word. Then we would eat together. And it would all end about 3 o'clock. Signs and wonders. I mean, the experience of being the church or being able to stop in the middle of a teaching and minister to somebody. Sometimes the Spirit would just come through the room and knock everybody down. And we, we would just sit in the presence of God. That's being the church. And we were able to take care of each other. We were, if, if it meant, hey, can you go fix somebody's door or fix their, their car? Or, yeah, let's go do that. They need help moving. They need... That's being the church, and that gets lost in these megastructures. Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does happen. I've heard it happens. But I've also heard a lot more of it not happening. People get lost in the megastructures. It usually happens in the smaller churches, in the smaller fellowships, in the smaller gatherings. We need to care for one another. And behaving like a believer demands that we do good to everyone. First to the household of faith and then to others. 1 Timothy 6, 18, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Basically, we should act like we know him. Boy, wouldn't that be a shock. I know that's what people want. When I talk about this in one-on-one uh, encounters or conversations or I share this, have people write me, oh, boy, I wish I could have that. I'm so alone. I'm so lost. I'm, I just, the dead church isn't working for me anymore. Well, it never should have worked for anyone because it was dead. Oh, it may have been dynamic. It may have had the sounds and the lights and the crowds. But it didn't change anybody. It didn't change communities. I was watching something online. Big, big event. A lot of youth there, tens of thousands, 50 or 60 at least. Worship was great, and they were all really into it, and you could see the Spirit moving, and you could see them crying and weeping, dancing, shouting, doing doing all the things that they do. And then I wondered, you're having these all over the country. Why aren't entire communities being saved? I think for the most part, nobody's told them. We need to behave like believers. We need to be representatives. That's easy for you to say, Richard. No, it wasn't. Yes, it is. Representatives of Yeshua. Not of religion. Not of a dead plaster of Paris statue. But of the man, the person. Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without works is dead also. If there's no action, something's wrong. The Spirit is moving. The Lord told Nicodemus, it's like the wind. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. It's always moving. It's swirling. It's doing what it does. If the Spirit's present, there should be movement. There should be life. There should be action. Faith and the action produced by faith are the fuel of the fire of being a believer, and that relationship with the Lord should produce the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is produced by relationship with him. That's what he tells us in John 15 when he talks about the vine and the branches. He talks about producing fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. goes on to say, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And he caps it all off. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. What does our joy come from? That he is abiding permanent resonance within us through the Holy Spirit, and that we are the branches on his vine producing fruit through the the sap, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Our joy is in our relationship and our fellowship with him and the Father. Producing fruit is what keeps you vibrant, keeps you alive. I think I've, I've ministered to enough people in almost 34 years that when no fruit is being produced, when there is no movement of the Spirit, that person is dying, that branch is dying on the vine. So my prayer for you is to stir up the Spirit within you, that the sap would flow, the fruit would flow, lives would be changed, your life would be changed. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. Whoever lives in me... And I in him, there's the relationship, bears much abundant fruit. However, if you're apart from him, cut off from the vital union with him, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Is this clicking? Are you getting it? It isn't about form or formality. It isn't about religious activity. It's about being like him. And then he says, I've told you these things, that my joy and my delight may be in you, and your joy and your gladness may be a full measure, complete and overflowing. And then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Let your love be sincere, a real thing. Starts the progression of behaving like a believer. That second word is hospitality. The International Bible Encyclopedia. Hospitality and host means love of strangers. Guest or friends means innkeeper. I guess that's why the hotel industry uses it. The home and illustrated Bible dictionary says hospitality. Whew. I'm off and running. I'm sitting here talking, trying to talk, and my spirit man's running. Let me see if I can get the two to catch up. Hospitality means to entertain or receive a stranger into one's home as an honored guest, to provide the guest with food, shelter, and protection. 
This was not merely an oriental custom or good manners, but a sacred duty that everyone was expected to observe. Only the depraved would violate this obligation. A sojourner, somebody who was traveling through, was offered hospitality if they needed a place to stay. See how the enemy has taken all these things out? Taken the little important nuggets that made us who we are, made us cold and callous, uncaring. Henrietta Mears, who's considered the mother of modern evangelism, wrote the book, What is the Bible All About? One of the first books that Pastor Shelley gave me. Says, hospitality should have no, no other nature than love. And the interesting thing about her, if you don't know who she is, not very well known, never preached a sermon, never pastored a church, although her Bible studies created churches. In fact, her Bible studies sometimes had 6,000 people attending them. Some of her students were Billy Graham, Bill Bright from Campus Crusade. Actually, he and his wife lived with her for 11 years, and Young Life founder Jim Rayburn. She created modern evangelism. And what's interesting is that she believed evangelists must earn the right to be heard, which means being committed to the church, to the people, and helping those in the direst of needs. That's what she did. That's what she inspired. And we lost that. I don't know how we did. Maybe we got caught up in building things. Maybe we got caught up in the entertainment. Maybe we got caught up in not caring about one another. As I said, I sat in Christian Heritage in Tallahassee, and I think it's sad a thousand, had two thousand on the rolls, and you know, during Christmas and Easter and those things, we put chairs in the aisles. But even, you know, even if we didn't do that, there were people in that church that never spoke to one another, some of which had never met Pastor Shelley personally. We've lost, as the wretched brother said, that loving feeling. We've lost it. We don't care about each other. I care about you. That's why I'm here. That's why I was here last week. That's why I posted what I did so that we would not go a week without a Bible study. I pray for you. And I'm not telling you this to to exalt me. No, I'm just trying to tell you it's real and that we are the examples that if we're going to talk it, we need to walk it. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. That's why I wear this little band from Open Doors, which says, One with them. Every time I look at it, I pray so that I can remember. I was thinking about it today. Somebody's going through a really tough time and feels lost and somewhat abandoned. And I started thinking about all the believers out there going through some really tough times. I wonder if Paul ever thought sitting in the basement of the prison, which was really the septic tank, the sewage. He sat down there in the sewage next to it. Can't imagine what the smell was like. Can't imagine how unhealthy that was. I wonder if he felt abandoned. I wonder if the Chinese pastors who have been tortured, one of whom was actually put into like this giant septic tank of the prison, hoping that he would get sick and die, and he never did. Or that girl that was kidnapped by Boko Boko Haram, has been tortured and raped and had multiple children by her Muslim captors. I'm sorry, that's what they are. She's a Christian. She was kidnapped because she's not one of them. But from what we hear, she's never recanted. She won't recant. We need to remember people that are going through that. So don't forget or neglect or refuse to extend hospitality to strangers. 
in the brotherhood, being friendly, being cordial and gracious, sharing the comforts of your home, doing your part generously. For through it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. In what Hebrews 13 is referring to, Genesis 18, when the Lord, the theophany, the preexistent, I believe, Yeshua, shows up with two angels and appeared to Abraham, who feeds them, washes their feet, and offers them hospitality. And it was from this encounter that the promise of Isaac came, because he sends the angels on to Sodom and Gomorrah, but while he's there, he starts telling Abraham that Sarah's about to have a baby. We know that Sarah laughs, and in Genesis eighteen fourteen, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, what if Abraham had turned him away? What if he had not been hospitable? He might have missed out on the promise. In Genesis 19, we see that the angels that are sent to Sodom and Gomorrah to see what's really going on there Lot offers them the hospitality of his home. And we know that they led him out of, he and his wife and his family, led him out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and the brimstone fell. What if Lot had not offered them hospitality? I believe that they would not have been let out. See, hospitality is the core of who the Lord is. I know I've told the story before. It's another one of those that I haven't told in a while. On Saturday nights at Christian Heritage, I used to get there at 6. I used to pray until I was done, which is usually about 3 o'clock in the morning. And we were praying, covering Shelley, so that he could prepare for the next day's service. We prayed over the property. We prayed in the church. Well, one night we're standing in the back parking lot, And this pretty rough-looking, bedraggled-looking guy comes up and says, Hey, my car is broken down. I need some money for gas. I'm right down the road. And I looked at him and I heard the Lord say, There's no car. He's homeless. So I looked at him and just said, point blank, I said, The Lord just told me there is no car. You're just looking for money to go buy some beer, aren't you? Eyes got a little wide and looked at me and said, Well, yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take you down to that gas station with the store. We'll get you some food. We'll get you something to drink. It won't be alcoholic. And we'll help you out, which is what we did. And we came back, and he hung out with us. And then there were multiple buildings, houses that the church had bought in the area. And one of them, he kind of had a bedroll, and he slept in the doorway. And when the church was empty, he'd go in and use the bathroom and clean up. And, of course, the super religious people got upset with that, and um, they wanted him gone. But when they get, went to get rid of him, he was already gone. And I went over there, and I saw his bedroll. I saw his shoes, saw his clothes, his toothbrush, and some of the stuff we'd bought for him. And I heard the Lord say, entertaining angel, then aware. He had sent an angel to test us and to test the leadership of the church, which failed miserably. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. First Peter 4, 9. The leaders of the church were grumbling. Oh, my God, this man, look at him. We shouldn't have him in our bathrooms. Why not? There's no bathrooms are for. There's nobody in there. As I said, I was not very popular at the meetings where these things would come up. We need to be like Yeshua. And don't do it because you think it might be an angel. Do it because it's right. Be hospitable. The Nelson Study Bible, New King James Version says, In New Testament times, hospitality typically meant housing and feeding travelers for two to three days with no expectation of payment in return. And doing it without grumbling, being truly hospitable required personal sacrifice. Therefore, many who perform such acts of kindness to strangers 
sometimes complained behind the backs of their guests about the hardships of caring for them. That's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 4. Let's do it cheerfully. Because it's what the Lord would do. It's what was done for him. One of the things that I see, again, just my opinion, is the Western church has had it too good for too long. We have not suffered. Oh, yeah, there's a little political persecution, and there are some other things, but we really haven't suffered like our brothers and sisters around the world. We haven't really had to walk out our faith. We're going to. We need to learn this. We may have to take care of one another. We may have to take in families. I don't say that to frighten you, but we're going to be forced to be the church. But see, the Lord showed it to the disciples in Luke chapter 10. Some of those red-letter basics I like to talk about. Starting with verse 4. Carry neither money money bag. Let me start that again. I was trying to listen to the Lord while talking to you, and I should have just stopped. I'm sorry, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hmm. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, which was the second pair of shoes that they changed into when they went into the house to leave their dirty sandals outside, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house, Shalom to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you, the Lord says, I say to you to be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. We have become stagnant. We have become sedentary. As I sit here and say this to you, we have become sedentary. One of the greatest tricks of Hasatan was to get the church to sit down. We need to get that movement going again. We need to bring the kingdom of God into people's homes, into their people, into people's lives. They, the disciples, were bringing the presence of the Lord with them into that house, just like when Abraham was visited, just like when Lot was visited. And look at the miracles that came out of those visitations. They were commissioned to heal all the sick in every city they entered, and it was proof that the kingdom of God had come to them and that God's representatives were in their midst. We need such representation today. We're looking at Hasatan and the fallen. We're looking at their demonic offspring driving nations of the world to their knees to hate one another, to kill one another. Where are the men and women of God? Where are the pastors and the preachers and the teachers to stop preaching a prosperity gospel and go do something about it? Go stand in the middle of the city. Go stand somewhere where people can hear you and push back. See, for the kingdom of God is not just in word but in power, in dunamis, 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God, the not the future reign of Messiah, but his present rule in the hearts and lives of his people. We are the manifestation of the kingdom. 
We should be fired up about the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world, not the kingdoms of men. I have a zeal for my Father. I have a zeal for the Lord, and that's why it offends me so much when I see men and women stand up and steal his glory, steal his accolades, steal his offering for themselves. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. The kingdom of God inspires hospitality. It's a required characteristic of bishops, 1 Timothy 3.2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to preach, you know, able to teach. Oh, see, there's no preaching, they're teaching. Teach, disciple. That right there, 1 Timothy 3.2 disqualifies most of the bishops I've ever met. And hospitality is a duty of believers. It's a natural expression of brotherly love, and it's a necessary tool of evangelism. When we were in Tallahassee, and I left Christian Heritage, and we formed the home church, we started to go to an area where the homeless met called Lake Ella every Saturday. Started out with sandwiches, and then we began to barbecue, and we began to feed them. Began to fellowship with them. No expectations. Didn't preach at them. Just loved on them, and simply said, "If anybody wants to come to church in, in our my house, my wife and I's house, if you want to come to church, somebody will get you and will bring you to, to our home." And so, one of the people that came past that way would go by and get the handful and bring them into our family room, and then it would take two people, and then it took three people, and then some of them started to drive themselves. To where at its peak, we had like 40 or 50 people in the room and cars in the, in the yard because people were seeing the reality of the church. It was a natural expression of brotherly love. And it was necessary for evangelism because many people got saved, healed, and delivered, saw miracles, changed their lives because of being hospitable. I'm going to read 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, spoken and written a long time ago, but I believe it applies to now. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, we need an attitude of gratitude and love with the expectation of his return. That's what the book of Acts Church had. They had an attitude of gratitude and love with the expectation of his soon return. But the end... And the culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restraint and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. And above all things, have intense, unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Messiah's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. As each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, Employ it for one another as it benefits good trustees of God's many-sided grace. Faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to believers by his unmerited favor. See right there? 
hospitality is both natural and supernatural. Those people that came into our family homes and have come into the seminars and all the things where we've taught and talked and prayed and signs and wonders, hospitality, that feeling of love for one another, that koinonia, the fellowship, is both natural and supernatural. We've got too much natural. We need some more supernatural. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. And he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You notice in Romans twelve six through 8, all of the gifts go outward. They don't come in for you. They're not there to bless you. They go outward. We've been entrusted with his spirit and his gifts to glorify him as we further the kingdom. We live an inside-out life as believers, and we need to behave like it. Be sober-minded, doing what we're supposed to be doing. Pray with a clear mind, without hindrances or distractions. Have fervent love, spontaneous, divine love. And be hospitable without complaining about it. I wonder what would happen if we did that. I wonder what would happen if we had brothers and sisters, believers, home churches, fellowships. Sorry about that. Home churches, fellowships. I swallowed that word somewhere in the middle of the night. I'm just going to be sleeping, and you're going to hear fellowships. It's just going to sneak out. I wonder what would happen if we just acted like the church. Oh, my goodness. We could turn this world upside down one last time for the king. But you know what's going to happen if you do that. The world doesn't want it. The enemy doesn't want it. The super religious don't want it. Pharisees hated this. Oh, my gosh. Showed people what it was really supposed to be like. So, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Messiah's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Messiah, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a believer, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Listen to this, verse 17, 1 Peter 4, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Life is tough. It's not easy. I posted that on Facebook, and I know a lot of you aren't on social media. So I've reactivated my blog, thebeaconsglare.com, and it's connected to all the blog links for all the websites. And I'm going to take what I posted, and I'm going to turn it into a, a, a longer blog. But the fact is, life's really tough right now, and there are times life stinks. But this isn't our home. 
This is not where we belong. We're waiting. We're waiting for the return of the king. All of creation groans for his return. But no matter what, we are called to live lives in conflict with the world. We cannot compromise. We cannot give up. We cannot give in just because it would make it easier. That's what the enemy wants. That's what the world wants. I felt like Churchill there for a second. Never, 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 never surrender. Never give up. But that That's it. Right there, never surrender. Never give up. The king is coming. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Be transformed. Have a metamorphosis. That process that leads to an outward permanent change. We should be different. And we need to commit ourselves to doing what is right, even if it causes suffering. See, our difficulties can always provide an excuse for sinning, for giving up. But when difficulties come our way, we must live exemplary lives of a believer characterized by love for others. See how it all just keeps coming back. We need to remember that in our trials, no matter how bad they are, God is both sovereign and faithful. He who controls all the circumstances of life, he does. Therefore, we don't need to fear that whatever trial comes our way, he doesn't know about, that it's apart from his oversight or of his will. If he's allowing it, He's using it to show you something, to teach something, to, to get you to see something you haven't seen. He's purifying his church for its final mission. The house of God, a people, not a building. His fire, the refiner's fire, a purifying fire. If there's fire burning in your life right now, instead of resisting and saying why, say more. Get it done. Purge the dross. Take everything out of me that's not of you. Clear away all the false teachings. Clear away all my false expectations. And bring forth in me the pure nature of who you are, Lord. Because he warned us that we would suffer unjustly because of him. And in those moments, you will find out what your relationship with him is like. For me, I've had all those moments, good and bad, and even now going through some stuff, I run to him. I tell him, Lord, I am nothing without you. I have nothing without you. You are my only hope that no matter what happens, I will cling to you. And then the wind of the Spirit blows, and he brings a refreshing sense of him. So can we be fervent, earnest, zealous, abundant, without stopping. Can we do that? Can we care enough to do that? Can we love enough to do that? And we can do it without grumbling, not because we've been commanded to, but because we want to, based for our love for God and our love for each other and our love for man. We're going to share, not because we want to, but because we, I mean, because we want to, not because we have to. Not to impress somebody else or make sure people know who we are, Ananias and Sapphira. Example, remember that. See, godly hospitality is not impressing others. It's not about impressing others. It's about doing it for him. It's about sacrifice. So do things without grumbling, fault-finding, or complaining against God, without questioning or doubting amongst ourselves, that we may show ourselves to be blameless and guileless and innocent and uncontaminated children of God without blemish 
but faultless and unrebukable in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, amongst whom we are seen as bright lights, stars, beacons shining out clearly in the dark world. That's Philippians 2, 14 and 15. So this brings us all back to the culmination of where all this started. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, sisterly love, family love, koinonia. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And if we do that, we will be behaving like a believer. Father, Lord, let it be so as according to your word. Let your word seep into the hearts and minds, souls and spirits of the listeners of your children. Let us be lights, beacons in a dark and dying world. Let us, just through a, a simple act of love and hospitality, show them who you really are. We can do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, if you help us, we can do it even better. If you'll stir it up inside of us, if if our words that come out of our mouth are really his words, and if our hands are empowered by you and we touch them with his hands, we can do what you need done before you return. But we need your help. We need your protection. We need your provision. We need you to be a shield about us and the glory and the lifter of our head. We need you to stir up the fire. Some of it's gone out for so many. Well, in the name of Yeshua, let that fire be stirred up. Remember what he's done for you. Remember, remember, remember who he is. He has not changed. Your circumstances may have changed, but he has not changed. He's still on the throne. He's still Lord. He's still King. Holy Spirit, I pray that you drive these words in this prayer deep, deep, deep inside of them. Seal it to them in Yeshua's name. Amen. I love you, brothers and sisters. I am so honored and blessed to be able to do this for you and with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.